Welcome to the Mental Health Business Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margot Jaco. Are you a clinician looking to find the balance between providing compassionate client care and business agility? This show will help with things you need to know to start or grow your practice and better serve your clients. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Dr. Margot Jacques your mental health business mentor. Thanks for joining us today. Today, I'm really happy to have Deanna Schoss from Intercultural Talk joining us. Deanna has worked with us for years on marketing. She is our marketing guru. She really is fabulous at helping those of us who are not digital natives figure out how to use technology. And she, along with Chris Pertel, who's been my co-host really help make those phones ring and help people get the help they need. So I'm so excited to have Deanna talking with us today about being on screen so much and how to keep energy when you're on a screen all day long. So Deanna's going to be here with us talking some about the science. This is really her sweet spot. So Deanna, welcome. I'm so glad you're joining us today. Hi, Margo. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. So, you know, you and I have talked about how as therapists, we went from sitting live with people and having, you know, this kind of sort of warm, intimate contact of sitting in a room quietly and connecting with eye contact and reading each other's body language to all of a sudden having this darn screen. And I can see people usually from the zipper on up and sometimes from the nose on up and, you know, they're adjusting their screens. It's a real challenge to feel, for me to constantly feel engaged, for them to feel engaged with me and for me to feel engaged with them. So I'm really hoping you can give us some suggestions and tips, talking to us about the science, you know how I love the science of how things work, about how do we maximize our screen time with our clients. Margaret, thanks so much for asking. And, you know, therapists are are struggling or challenged by this in this one-on-one therapy relationship. And actually across the board, video has become so huge that it's a challenge for a lot of people, however they're using video. And so some of the things we've learned in what I would call performance video, like marketing video, can also apply when you're in the therapeutic setting, in the sessions. So one thing you know, in the olden days, they said that the camera adds 10 pounds. Well, now what we realize is the camera takes off like 10% of your energy and emotion. So great as we're already feeling less energetic. Now we get the camera to just strip off more of it. Fabulous. Right, exactly. So we've got the COVID-10 and then the COVID-10. So Oh, great. Great. <laughs> so, but what that means is it can feel like it can feel like I'm being fake or I'm not being true if I give more emotion, but what what's important to know is that that additional what feels like excessive to you on one side of the camera may actually just come across as your regular energy on the person who's on the other end of the camera. Okay. Okay. So I might still seem very much like myself and very genuine, even if I'm just amping it up a little bit, it might help with the engagement some. 
Yes, absolutely. Because again, if you're just talking in your normal, in what feels like your normal voice, it will come across as much less. Think about what you might even do in a therapy session. You might move in towards someone when they're saying something that you want to really show that you're focusing on them. So even that body movement and that body language may seem over-exaggerated, but you're trying to close that space, which is now vast because it's screen to screen. Okay. So that's that makes sense, right? So if the camera is removing even more energy and we're more distant because we're just on a, a goofball screen, then if I can be slightly more animated, it's going to come across as more of my typical energy to the other person on the other side of the screen. Exactly. That is exactly it. So how do I do that? So things that you can do, I know for me, I love to open my eyes really wide. So things that you can do with facial expression, raising your eyebrows, opening your eyes big to show like, oh, I see what you're saying. That movement, again, coming forward, coming closer to the screen, and then maybe pulling back. Those are kinds of things that you can do that will add that animation. Uh, Sometimes People are conscientious about not talking with their hands, but think about it. If your hands are in your lap and you're just seeing from the chest up, there's no motion whatsoever. And so that is very still. So adding a little hand movement can help show that you're understanding, you know, almost affirming, for example, when someone says something, use your hands to be like, okay, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, a finger raise or something that affirms what's coming out of your mouth at the same time. Yeah, we almost have to add a couple of extra ingredients to help with the engagement, to help for for the other person to feel our presence, which feels counterintuitive. You know, as therapists, we're always, I think, shooting for authenticity, being real. Um, And I might not typically put my hands up, although that's not true. I'm French. I think my clients are really used to that with me. What that does end up doing is makes my camera go in and out of focus, right? So that's another issue is being mindful, and you and I were talking about cameras, maybe we can have that discussion another day, but um, that everything we do is now affecting that contact. So I have to be a little more mindful of using my voice and not my hands, because then I'm out of focus with my client. You've been such a great mentor for me about how to be on screen, because we've done some pieces for marketing purposes, you know, just to get word out about different topics. And at first, when we were on the camera, I was like a, you know, kind of a wooden figure with my mouth moving. And you really have helped me figure out how to relate better to the camera. So there is something to that. And when we're on a Zoom call with a client, we might be in a little itty bitty box up in the corner and people's eyes are kind of darting back up to that. And we're distracted by our own image. And I always try to just put mine away because I don't, I, I don't want to be distracted in that way. It's not natural for me to see myself in therapy. But I think to your point, if I get rid of that box or, or what all can I do to make sure I'm staying connected to the client and not being distracted by my own self? So a couple things there. One, like you just said, there is on many of the, the video conference platforms, there's a, an ability to hide self-view. So what I recommend is look at yourself initially just to make sure that you're framed. Make sure that you're fully framed, that your head's not cut off. Once you know that you're in the frame, you can hide self-view. One other thing, and this is where there's that fine line between the therapy and the performance, is do make sure 
that you have things like don't sit in front of a window because if the sun flashes, you'll go into witness protection mode. (laughs) Go completely dark. So things like you want to have the window facing you. You want to make sure you have good lighting. So there's not distractions. Make sure you don't have a plant that looks like it's growing out of your head. (laughs) Things that might actually distract the person who's watching you. But once you know you have your setting, just take yourself off of off of that that view. And and this is actually very intuitive to to therapists and, and counselors, which is it's not about you. And so for counselors or therapists, they know that it's always about the person that that you're serving. Based on that, the idea, going back to the science, people learn and receive information differently. Some people favor audio, some people favor visual, some people favor doing. So your role is through the camera, through the video, is to provide those different opportunities so that the other person is able to to receive what you're saying and to gauge with you. Yeah, I, I have to say, I, I have found myself having to battle boredom and I can feel it in my clients too because the contact is so different. Part of that is I think we get fatigued. Our brains just start to disconnect some when we're just looking at a screen of somebody and they are immobile nothing is changing and my brain will start to wander and look for something to stimulate it. So, and from other therapists I've talked to, this is not that unusual. So they'll be fiddling or looking at their phone, you know, any of a number of things that probably are not really good for therapy. So what are some ways that people can change things up on the screen? I think you said, sit forward, sit backward, what else can people do that doesn't feel like, oh my gosh, do I, you know, it's been 25 seconds. Now what do I do so that I don't lose the person? There is something in, again, in the science that supports what you're saying. So in marketing, we call it pattern disrupt. We're doing, even if it's a 20 minute, let's say it's a YouTube, it's a video show. Within that 20 minutes, we will switch, we'll add subtitles, we'll switch the screen, we'll drop in a video because If someone's looking at the same pattern, which is basically the same screen, for even just a few minutes, your mind starts to wander. So that is true. How can you change, let's say, the pattern or what you're looking at? So there's visuals, even things like switch up what's on your bookshelf in between different sessions. So all of a sudden, there's something different that triggers to the person that you're engaging with, oh, there's something different here. The other one, and this one initially will likely feel a little bit animated or maybe not authentic, but notice how with my voice, I try to bring it up and down when I'm making a point because you can also do a pattern disrupt by changing your voice. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's something we have some control over, right, is the inflection of our voice. Sometimes I sit closer to the microphone and sometimes I sit back because of my, you know, I have an issue with my back, I do tend to move around a lot. So I think that helps. So I'm assuming those sorts of things that just kind of naturally occur are helpful in that. But, you know, it sort of normalizes for people this, you know, we all know this is hard. That's not a newsflash for anybody. But that there are some things we can do to make it less hard for our client to stay engaged with us, which is, of course, what we want to have happen. And I have actually suggested to some clients where I notice I'm consistently having a hard time staying engaged with them because they sit in their chair and they're immobile and they're just kind of staring at me. 
I'll recommend a little bit of movement. Like, why don't we just take a moment and both of us just move around a little bit? How are you doing? Are you in your body right now? And when we do that, we just take a quick body break. We seem to both be re-engaged again. So I think it's kind of that pattern disrupt that you're talking about. So can a therapist do that by suggesting a, a movement break or shifting around themselves? Or, you know, I've tried to talk to some clients about how I think for both of us, it'll be helpful if we do some of these things so that we both can stay connected, which is what we want. That's a great idea. Yep, that's a great idea. And just a reminder, we will likely think that we are boring before we actually are. <laughs> or think we're not when we really we're really kind of are. Yeah. Right, or think we're not. What are you saying? But part of the reason for that is, well, so you're going from session to session to session. So you're having, it, each person's case is unique, but you are potentially having a, a repetitive arc of what a session looks like. Right. And so that's why you may feel that before that client who's only there for that, that one hour. Right. So they may not be sensing it. You're so smart, though, to take a look, just as you would if you were in person, to take a look at their body language and seeing how they are engaging. And one thing you said as well, that idea of let's do this together. So it's not like I'm looking at you and I, I think that you're not engaged. It's now that we're in this video experience, it's great if we can just stand up and move for a minute and then sit back down. Yep. Yep. Or shift side to side or, you know, move your shoulders or roll your neck or there's any of a number of things that people can do. And and then I ask them how they feel. And almost always they feel better. They feel more engaged. They feel more present. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing, and you've done this, Margot, on your Mindset Minutes. You have a YouTube channel with all your Mindset Minutes and that one of being grounded. What a great thing if you think that someone seems disengaged, have them put their feet on their floor, their hands on their thighs, shoulders down and breathe. And that's just a basic grounding exercise mm -hmm. that the person also, if their mind is being distracted, they're going to appreciate that because now all of a sudden, oh, you're right. Okay, I'm back in the present. And it is something that you're doing together. So that's a right. good one to mix in as well. And something that never would have occurred to me, and you did mention standing up, there are times in session where both the client and I will get up and move around. And not everybody has the setup for that. But if you do, getting up and moving around together and coming back and sitting down, that's fabulous. Because sometimes I would do that in session with people too. And then we got all this because they would need that for their system because what they were talking about was so overstimulating. And then we got onto these cameras and thought, oh, I can't move out of this little box. I have to, you know, they won't be able to see me. And there are times I can't see people. <laughs> get, up, get up and move around. I don't care if I can't see you for a minute. So dis being able to disconnect from the screen, some too. Now, one thing that I really, uh, I was thinking about it as I was thinking about us talking about this, as therapists are getting themselves set on their screen, I've noticed this sometimes in our staff meetings, and I love our staff, and everybody's working so hard. And I've been in meetings with other therapists on, you know, doing a, a call for another reason, talking about a, a client, and their background is distracting. They're looking way down, and all I can see is up their nose. They've got their head in their hands. They're not really looking at the camera. So there is a bit of performance, and I hate that word, but sort of, we're planning. Like my space that I sit in, it's absolutely set up for the camera to be 
sort of soothing. I have my, my desk at a specific height so that I'm looking at people eye level. I think those things are important too. And again, it's, it mimics much more what it's like to be in a session. I don't sit looking down at my client, as you said, to not to be just aware of what the lighting is. I mean, you and I have talked endlessly about lighting and how important that is. And it's all these little minutia things that people don't necessarily think of, or all of a sudden the sun will come glaring in and their camera, a lot of cameras on laptops are lousy. I have a lousy camera on my laptop. I finally got an external one that now does this goofy other thing for, for autofocus, but you know, there's so many things to take into consideration. What does the science say, Deanna, about how we should best set up our environment, how we should set up the level at which we're looking at the camera? What what does the science say about that? So you want to be at eye level or slightly above. You definitely don't want to be below, which is what will naturally happen if you have your laptop on your desk and you're just sitting, you will naturally be looking down. You want, and it doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to get a whole tripod thing. Grab some books. Grab a stack of books. Um, you know, I know for me, if my laptop is on the pull, there's a pullout tray for your keyboard. I lift it up onto a book on my desk, and that's what makes it eye level. So it doesn't have to be hard to do that, but you do want it eye level or slightly above. You want the light to be shining on you. And that's more just a question when we talk about being fully present, you want people to fully see your face. So you don't want to be in the dark. And this is the part you don't do while you're in a therapy session. You do this beforehand. But notice things like, you know, I'll just say using me as an example, my eyes, which I never knew before, my eyes are actually a little bit sunken. I never would have used that word. Except if I don't have light shining on me, it looks like these, they look like two dark holes. So <laughs> like an alien. <laughs> right, right. Cultural <laughs> but here's the thing, what people need to realize is when you see yourself on camera and you see that the first reaction is usually like, oh, I'm bad. Oh, there's something wrong with me. I don't look good. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with, I'm translating how I might look in real life onto camera. Yes. Right. Does that make sense? You cannot make an evaluative decision about yourself. Get the books, put your laptop up on the books so that you can be eye level. And you also want to frame frame your head. So maybe a couple inches on top so it's not cut off and then centered in the um, centered in the frame. And of course, you want to look at what else is fully in the frame with you. Yeah. And this stuff really matters. It's not just showmanship. I think it, it creates distractions for people when they're with us, if those things aren't considered. And again, we don't want our client to have to struggle even more to connect with us because they're distracted by the shadows or looking up your nose or whatever the case may be. But I think really, in some ways, it just is, it's translating the experience of what happened in real life. Because if you go to the Juniper Center's offices, everyone's office is so beautiful and so incredibly curated. Oh, I thank you. Each of Oh, yeah. Each of the clinicians, if you go into a clinician's office, they have things that you might pick up and play with on the on the table. They have very carefully selected books. The lighting, the lighting is softer. That may be why yeah. it feels funny to put light on you because you're in the office trying to create a softer lighting for the client. Right. This is different. You need to be fully 
fully visible. But if the challenge was that, if the challenge or the suggestion to a clinician is your office is so beautiful, you've so carefully curated it. How can you translate that to what you're seeing on camera? Right, to your dining room table, which might be, or your bedroom corner. I can't tell you how many people are working in bedroom corners. I have a colleague who got a really beautiful shower curtain because the only place between her husband working from home, her son is now home for school, she actually is in the bathroom. You would have no idea that she's in the bathroom because she got a really sort of modern looking drapery. And that's her setup. But it's the spot where she knew that she could completely control it. There's no windows for backlighting and she can have complete privacy. So it's a it's looking at your house a different way as well. Yeah. You know, as opposed to this is the office and my office has bad lighting. Is there another spot where you could set up? I know someone who set up in a closet. Because in the closet, they were able to control the lighting. They were able to just put a plant or something as a backdrop, take a picture, tack it on the wall. And that was the space that they were able to turn into their therapy location because nobody knows. Nobody's going out wider to see where you are within the space that they can see in the frame of the film. Right. Yeah, that's great. I love that being in the in the bathroom with a, a funky, cool shower curtain. And some people have used those backgrounds that are available on their laptop. I would actually recommend not doing that. And the reason is when we talk about being authentic, and if you're putting up one of the backdrops that are available, there's two problems with that. One is if which we just said, you want to be more animated. So you might be moving back. You might be using hands. With those animated backgrounds, you your hand disappears or your head disappears. Right. It merges and you go in and out. So I don't recommend doing that. And you may actually then have your clients wondering, well, where are they really? How do I know what's around them? Yeah. How do I know there's not someone else there? So I would advise against that. Yeah, and, and if, I guess if it's between... The only space in your house is a corner of your bedroom and you don't want people to know you're there. And so therefore you're going to put that up. That feels a little more private to you. That makes sense. But from a visual perspective, it feels, and this is this is something I've noticed, it feels a little inauthentic. It's fun in a meeting when somebody's sitting on a beach in Hawaii. I love that when we're on our staff meetings and somebody has that up. But I think in a session, again, it's like what ends up feeling authentic? What feels real? And those backgrounds, I think, don't lend themselves to that. The time where I've seen it work is if, and it depends on how much somebody wants to invest in their setup, although this is your profession, so could be an investment that's worthwhile. If you have a green screen, they have pop-up green screens. So if you have a green screen and then you project a backdrop, you won't go in and out. Like I'm talking about with the basic Zoom green screen. The other place where I've seen it work is I... I've seen people actually use a backdrop that's an office. So not the beach in Florida. I would not do that. But you can find nice backdrops that literally look like you're you're just in an office. And then sometimes people may not even know. Yeah, where would somebody find that? Because that's an excellent suggestion. So first of all, getting a green screen. I love that suggestion. We'll put that in our session notes. And I'm assuming, you know, people can get it if they're Amazon shoppers, they can get it on Amazon or wherever they like to buy their goods. But also to find, where would somebody find an image of an office that they could use? So there's a lot of free royalty-free sources. There's Pixabay, 
P-I-X-A-B-A-Y is one. Pexels, P-E-X-E-L-S, that's another. So there's a couple different sources where you can get royalty-free photos that you could potentially use and just go through and, and try a number of them to see which one which one looks the best or which one looks the most authentic to you. Oh, that's great. So they just download the photo to their laptop or whatever and... Yes. So exactly. With Zoom, you can download photos. And then there's a spot when you're looking at virtual backgrounds where you can upload your own images. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. Okay. But that green screen does make the difference as far as it, it almost like it, I don't know if this is the right word, but it almost anchors that background so that it, it when you move, it doesn't fluctuate with you. Yeah. Well, that's probably what the technology is intended for is more for a green screen. Yes. I've seen that with clients, with other therapists when we've been on meetings and they all of a sudden vanish, like their whole bodies, they go to the side and they're gone. I brought that to their attention because, you know, you don't want to be doing that during a session with a client. You can't just all of a sudden disappear. You know, one other thing when we're looking at the technology and the clinician, again, people have been using it for a long time, but sometimes people are still a little bit nervous about the interface, but to remember that so is the client. And so if there's a couple things that regularly happen at the very beginning of the session, the clinician can also help people come at ease by saying, do you have any questions about how Zoom works? Just a reminder, your camera and your mic are in the bottom left-hand corner. Your little tips like that can be helpful to put both of them at ease before the session starts. Oh, that's a really good idea. So Deanna, these have been some really good suggestions. If you had to summarize the top three suggestions for people to keep in mind, what would you say? The first would be that eye contact and emotion. And remember, if you feel like you're overly emoting, you are likely not. You're just compensating for the emotion that the camera takes away. So eye contact and emotion. Second is, it's not about you. And even though that's intuitive, just remember, these are all things that you're doing to adapt to how your client wants to perceive you. So you're doing this for them, even if it feels like uh, performance. So it's not about you. And the third one is, I can't emphasize enough, the idea of pattern disrupt. That if you're constant, if your voice tone is constant, if your movement is constant, you are right. People will start to zone out. So you want to get that pattern disrupt through intonation, movement, facial expression, all those different things, really every few minutes or so. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Those are perfect. So Deanna, if someone wants to connect with you to ask you some more questions or to find out about your services, how can they find you? Oh, thank you for asking. So my website is interculturaltalk.com. And of course, the uh, the email is info at interculturaltalk.com. And you can also catch, I have a weekly Facebook live show called Intercultural Spark, which is about that spark inside each of us that drives you to spark change in the world. So I invite people to take a look at that on Facebook and YouTube live. Oh, I love it. Deanna, you are a spark. I have to say that's like the perfect <laughs> word for you. You're just such a, you're just so alive and you're a spark. I love that. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Margo. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I am thinking you're going to be coming back and joining us much more regularly, which I'm excited about. 
Me too. Thank you. I would love to. You do such incredible work and I'm so, I'm, I'm honored to be able to support all that you're doing. You're very sweet. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us today. I hope these were some tips that are helpful for you as we're trying to navigate our Zoom world right now. I'm Dr. Margot Jacot, your mental health business mentor. Please join us again next time. Be well. You've been listening to the Mental Health Business Mentor Podcast with Dr. Margot Jacot. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe so you don't miss an upcoming episode and head on over to the mentalhealthbusinessmentor.com website for resources and additional information. Thanks so much for listening and be well.